One of the things that we value here at Restoration, we talk about this on a regular basis, is we value diversity. That when you look at Restoration Church, we have a bunch of different people from a bunch of different walks of life, people with different backgrounds, people with different experiences, and we've all come together here at Restoration Church. And so you've got people from different religious backgrounds. We've got some people that have a Catholic background, a Pentecostal background, a, a Baptist background, that have come together to worship Jesus here at Restoration Church. We've got people that have different economic backgrounds. We have people that come from different age backgrounds. Uh, listen, whatever your background is, whatever your situation was, and, and, and listen, we value you. You belong here. We need you to be a part of this. I love that we value this thing, but one of the things is even though we have all this diversity amongst us, one of the things that we do have in common is we are desiring to, to know God. We're desiring to, to, to know and follow after God. In fact, what happens oftentimes is, is we have these questions that draw us to church and draw us to God. And these are questions that most of us in this room have dealt with. Things like, is there a God? And if there is a God, then what does God really want from me and from my life? We have questions like, what happens after I die? We have questions like, does God consider me a good person? And if not, then how do I become a good person in God's eyes? These are questions that draw us to church, that draw people to say, I want to investigate this God to answer some of these questions. And many of us, at some point in our life, have wrestled through some of those questions. You know, one of, those, one of the things that happens is as we start seeking after God and, and searching to know Him and to answer these questions... What happens oftentimes is since God is described as a father, what happens is we begin to impose our own experience with a father onto God. So we look and say, well, this is how my dad was like. This is what my father was like. And we begin to impose those characteristics on God. Now, for some of you, you had a really good dad. Praise God for that. Some of you, you had a dad who loved you, who believed in you, who helped you, who encouraged you. Listen, if you've got that kind of a dad, praise God. Praise God. You need to make sure you reach out to him today and say, thank you for being a good dad. Because for those that have a good dad, there's just as many that didn't have a really good dad growing up. Their dad was a little bit of a, of, of a challenge. Maybe their dad was, was angry a lot. Maybe their dad was controlling or abusive, or absent, or maybe your dad was a dad that was never satisfied, you could never satisfy him, and he always made you feel like you've got to do more and more and more. For me, my experience, uh, my biological parents, uh, me and my two siblings, we were, uh, the saint took us away from them when we were very young, and, and put us into the foster system, and after a little while, we were adopted out of the foster system into our adoptive parents, and my adoptive dad died when I, was, uh, when I was young. I was about eight or nine years old. And through those two experiences, I tell you, I've struggled through feelings of abandonment. I've struggled with having the longing for a father's approval. A longing for a father to say, hey, you're enough. I I'm proud of you. For the affirmation that fathers usually give their, their children. And I'll be honest, as I've grown in my faith, I've realized how those feelings towards my father have influenced my relationship with God, where I find myself longing for God's approval, wondering, 
Man, have I done enough to make him proud? I want to hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. I want to know I've done enough to make him proud. I have this fear. I have this fear that perhaps God won't be there when I need him. Kind of like my biological, my adoptive fathers. See, what happens is because we have these father issues, and sometimes we place those things on God, oftentimes there's two common uh, feelings and attitudes that we impose on God. And maybe you can recognize this for yourself. Maybe the first one is uh, uh, your dad was controlling. Your dad rode you hard. And so what happens is because your dad was like that, you felt like you could never satisfy him. You have this idea that does God really care about me? You have this idea that, that God isn't loving. He's just controlling. He's got a bunch of rules to try and spoil your fun in life and control what you do and how you live. The second kind of common uh, characteristic that we impose on God is maybe if your dad was angry or hard to please or distant, you find yourself where you, you, you spend your life trying to be good enough, trying to do enough, trying to perform, trying to, to look the part so that God would look to you and say, you've done enough, I'm proud of you, I acknowledge you. Because you've worked so hard to get your dad to acknowledge you and to say those things, you feel the same way with God. I've got to do all this stuff to earn his attention and his love. Here on Father's Day, when you think about your relationship with your dad, how has that influenced your relationship with God? How has that impacted how you view God and how you view God interact within your life? We've been in a sermon series the last couple of weeks. <laughs> it's, it's been two months now. I've got to say the last two months now. Called The Story, where we're trying to look at many of the different uh, characters and events and, and, and stories from the Bible to see how they are actually one big story. The Bible's not a bunch of little stories touching little things. They're, they're one big story all about Jesus, pointing us to a relationship with, he, with him for what he's done on the cross. And kind of a recap with where we've been the last couple of weeks. We talked about how God made a promise to Abraham, this beautiful promise, where he said, Abraham, your descendants, not your ancestors, your descendants, I'm going to make a promise that they're going to become a great nation. I'm going to give them a special land called the promised land. And he said, through your descendants, through this nation that I give to you, Abraham, all the families of the world would be blessed. And then last week, we started in the book of Exodus, where we saw God's people were enslaved in Egypt under an evil pharaoh, a wicked pharaoh, and God shows up through Moses to redeem his people through a number of plagues. And we saw last week that the 10th plague was the plague of the Passover, where God judges sin by killing all the firstborn in Egypt, except in his grace, in his mercy, God offers a plan to rescue his people from Egypt. He rescues them. He leads them into the the wilderness uh, en route to the promised land. And while, uh, we didn't get here last week, but this is kind of what happens in the middle. While they're on the way to the promised land, they start dealing with hunger. And they're dealing with thirst. And God miraculously provides water and bread from heaven. And then we get to our text today. Exodus chapter 19 and 20. This is probably a familiar passage to many of us. This is the Ten Commandments. And here's what we're going to deal with today. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments and recognize we're talking about the Ten Commandments, but they really deal with the law. 
as a whole. In the law in the Old Testament, there are over 600 commands of rules that God said, here's what you need to do. And so we're going to look at the Ten Commandments and try and understand, say, how do we understand these commandments? Is God trying to control us, to prevent us from having any fun in life? Has God given us these rules to say, hey, if you do these things, then I will give you my attention, then I'll give you my love and my favor that will make you good enough for God? I'll tell you, neither of these things are accurate because the Ten Commandments are meant to point us to our need to Jesus and then give us a guide on how we live lives that honor God. So we're going to jump in. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 19. The people of God, they are at uh, Mount Sinai. They're getting ready to meet with God. And here's, here's how it starts out in verse 3. It says, Moses went up to the mountain, and the Lord called to him out of the mountain, and he said, tell this to the people of Israel. Verse 4, you've seen how, what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and I brought you out of the land myself. Verse 5, now, if you obey my voice... If you keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples. Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. See, here in Exodus 19, God makes a, a new covenant with the nation of Israel. Now, God has already made a covenant with Abraham, but this covenant is a little bit different. Because different. if you remember the, the, the covenant with Abraham, the covenant was God said, I'm going to be faithful. Abraham, even when you are unfaithful, and he was God was faithful to that promise. But this covenant is a little bit different because God is saying, you will be my treasured possession. You'll be a holy nation if you keep my commandments. If you obey me. And out of this, out of this covenant, we find the Ten Commandments. And again, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments today. But these represent the greater picture of the law. All those 600 plus commands in the Old Testament through Leviticus. These are the parts of Scripture that oftentimes we skip over when we're reading. You know, about you can't do this and whatever. Okay, that's there we go. God's saying, listen, if you do these things consistently, you will live. But if you cross the line to a dis disobedience, you will suffer. Through these commandments... God wants us to grasp his, his holiness, his majesty, his glory, his power. He wants us to recognize just how awesome and how great and holy he is that is beyond our comprehension. In fact, in the book of Habakkuk, God says that, or scripture says that God is too pure to even look upon evil. Right? So here's, here's what he's saying. If you keep these commandments, you'll live. I'll be with you. I'll bless you. And if you don't, you'll suffer. So I'm going to do something different today. As we look at these Ten Commandments, I don't want you to hear the commandments and think, I want you to look at these commandments, and I want you to, to grade yourself. I want you to give yourself a pass-fail. Are you keeping this commandment? Have you kept this commandment? Or have you failed at keeping this commandment? There's no like, there's no like C. It's either an A or an F. Either you pass or fail. You can keep track of yourself. Keep track of how many of these you pass and how many of these you fail. Commandment number one says, you are to have no other gods before me. Now, what does that mean? Here's a question I'd ask you. Have you always put God first in your life? 
Is God first in your thoughts, in your affections, in your actions? Let me put it this way. Are you always more excited about God than more excited about some new relationship, some new job, some new possession, some new TV show, some new movie called Top Gun that's out? Are you more excited about God than all of those things? Pass or fail? I know how I answered that one. Number two, he says, you are to have no carved images of me. And we're kind of like, well, what does that mean? Well, what does that mean? This is really about reshaping God into our own liking. This is where we choose to believe what we want to believe about God because we like that better as opposed to believing what Scripture says and all that Scripture says about who God is. So let me ask you this. Have you, ever, have you ever wished that God was just a little bit different? Have you ever doubted the things that Scripture says about God? Pass or fail? I'm over for two, just to be honest. Number three, he says, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Now, I'll be honest, this is more than just saying, gosh darn it, okay? This, is, this is, deals with how highly we regard his name, how, gar, how highly we regard the name of God. So let me ask you these questions. Have you always held his name in highest respect? <laughs> Have you ever used his name as a swear word? Have you always represented God's name well? We're not just calling yourself a Christian, but actually fully obeying it. Have you ever called yourself a Christian while kind of not living for him? That's taking the Lord's name in vain. So, commandment number three, pass or fail. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, I'll tell you, this is not just about Sunday. This is really about giving God what fully belongs to him. See, Scripture says, Scripture says that one day a week, it belongs to God. It is a day for us to rest and focus on, on worshiping him. This mimics the creation story. We're on the seventh day, God rested, not because he needed it, because he was trying to set an example for us on this is what we're supposed to do. So here's the, here's the question. Have you consistently given God all that is due to him, including one day a week to worship God with others? Pass or fail? Commandment number five, honor your parents. Now, obviously, you kids in here, this deals with you. This deals with you obeying your parents when you are young. And those of you that aren't young, like me, this deals with you showing honor and respect to your parents as you get older. But this idea actually goes further than just your parents. It really has to deal with authority. See, see, God has placed authorities in your life. God has placed authorities to, to, to be over us. And it starts in our life with parents. But it goes beyond that. And so here's the question. Is have you obeyed and honored and given proper respect to the authorities God has placed in your life? Including your parents? Including government officials? Including the police? Including your boss? Pass or fail? Pass or fail? Number six. 
Thou shalt not kill. Like, finally, I got one that I'm like, yes, I got this one. Finally, I get a pass one. Except Jesus kind of wrecked it for me. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets to the heart of this commandment. And he says, listen, if you have hate in your heart, and if you have a desire for harm on another person, then that is just like murder. So on this commandment, here's a question. Have you had hateful thoughts? Have you taken the slightest amount of pleasure in seeing harm or misfortune come on another person? Pass or fail? Pass or fail? Number seven. Thou shall not commit adultery. Again, I'm like, yes, I've got one. Except Jesus messed this one up again for us. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that lustful thoughts about someone you are not married to is committing adultery in your heart. So here's a question. Have you ever entertained thoughts about physical intimacy with someone you are not married to? Pass or fail? Number eight, you shall not steal. All right, maybe this is good. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Oh, no, no, let's rephrase it like this. Have you ever taken credit as yours that actually wasn't your credit to take? Have you always given fully to people what they are entitled to? Which means when you show up to work, have you given fully to your boss without going on social media on work time? Ooh, are you a giver more than a taker in your marriage and in your family and in your relationships? Pass or fail? Number nine, thou shalt not lie. Have you ever lied? <laughs> Anybody ever not lied? <laughs> Raise your hand because you're a liar. <laughs> Have you ever slandered another person? Have you ever exaggerated the truth about yourself? Have you ever, have you ever covered up your, your faults, covered up, uh, hidden your embarrassing things for your own benefit? And number 10, it says, thou shall not covet. Have you ever longed for something that wasn't yours? Have you ever been jealous of another person's abilities or their looks or their position or their possessions? Let me say it like this. Have you ever looked at what somebody else has and thought, I could do better with what they've got? I could do better in their job. I could do better with their money. I could do better with any of these things. Are you fully content with who you are and what you have? Pass or fail? If we're just going to be honest today, how many of you passed and how many of you failed? Like, I'll be honest for me, I got zero out of 10. I got a big whopping zero. Listen, if you think you got a passing grade, you're like, man, I did pretty good. I got 80%. Listen, here's what the book of James says. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles on one point is guilty of all. Now, I know you're like, hey, pastor, you know, today's Father's Day. I came to church and you're just a buzzkill today, Kevin. You're just discouraging. You're making me feel bad about myself. Listen, here's why. We will never appreciate the gospel of Jesus until we come face to face with the reality of our sin. 
We'll never appreciate how great Jesus is, how great God is. We don't come face to face with how broken and sinful we really are. So here's what we're going to do. I hope, I, I, whatever percent you got, I think most of us in this room would acknowledge, man, I failed on that test. Those Ten Commandments, I have not done a very good job. I'm not that good of a person. That's good news. Because here's, here's three things that the Ten Commandments are going to teach us. It's going to be our message today. The Ten Commandments teach us that they cannot save us. The Ten Commandments, they cannot save us. In fact, there's a story in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, there's, there's a rich ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to become a Christian? What do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And so Jesus summarizes the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt know that God is before me. And this rich, young ruler, this rich young ruler, he has the audacity to say, hey, all those commandments, I've kept them from when I was young. I've done all those things. I've kept all the rules. And Jesus said, okay, but there's one thing you haven't done. He says, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and then follow me. And scripture says that the rich, wrong, rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful because he could not do it. See, Jesus wasn't giving us a bonus commandment. He wasn't giving us an 11th commandment. He was trying to show us, he's trying to show this guy that the commandments are not really about the actions. The commandments are really about the heart. It's about what our heart loves most. And for this guy, it was money. This guy loved money the most. And God said, I want your heart. The guy said, yeah, but I can't give up my money. What is it that you love most in life? Is it money, status, or relationship, addiction? What is it you love most in your life? See, these commandments... God's not looking for us just to grow a strong discipline so we can follow a bunch of rules. He's not looking for us to be more disciplined. What God wants is he wants your heart. He wants you to have a heart that loves God and prioritizes God above everything else. This is why the commandments and the law of God, they can't save us. The commandments are there for us to recognize our sin. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, he said, through the law comes knowledge of sin. That through reading the law, through reading the commandments, it gives us a, a knowledge of our sinful nature. In fact, I would say this. I would say the commandments are kind of like a mirror. They're kind of like a mirror. See, last weekend, uh, my kids, they said, hey, my, our brake pads need to be done in our car. And so I'm trying to figure this out, and I'm not very good at this car stuff. I'm I'm learning. And, and, and I, I'm working, there's all this, all this brake dust all over me. And I'm like, I think I got some brake dust all over my face. I couldn't tell. But then I went to the mirror, and it confirmed, yeah, I had, brake, I had grease and stuff all over my face, all over my body. Listen, that's what the Ten Commandments are. That's what the law is. They are a mirror. That when we're on before that mirror, it shows us our sin. It shows us our wickedness. It reveals our sin and it should convict us that we are guilty of breaking the law. Listen, the law cannot save us. The Ten Commandments, they cannot save you. Then what do they do? Number two, the Ten Commandments, they point us to Jesus. You see, when it comes to sin, God doesn't downplay our sin. He doesn't just pass it over and say that's okay. No, no. He demands perfection. The, 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 
the, the, the covenant was specifically that. If you obey these things, then I will bless you and you'll be my special people. But here's the thing. Perfection is not found in us. Perfection is found in Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. I came to obey it. I came to, to, to be the one who could actually do it in perfection. In fact, last week we talked about Jesus being the Lamb of God. He was without blemish, the unblemished lamb, which not, doesn't mean he didn't have a spot or a freckle on him. It meant he didn't have any sin. He kept all of these commandments. He never lied. He never cheated. He never stole. He never took God's name in vain. He did all those things. When we did that test, and I don't know what percent you got, but I got zero, he got 100% on that test of the Ten Commandments. And that is... That is the gospel message, right? That God demands perfection. But we can't achieve perfection. So God supplies that perfection through Jesus. In fact, there's a cool story in Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21, the nation of Israel, they had broken one of the commandments. They began to grumble about their sufferings in the wilderness. And they began to covet what other nations had. Hey, we want that easy life. We want, the, we want, we want sushi instead of the, the manna from heaven. We want good food. I began to, to covet. So what did God do? God sent poisonous snakes. And the snakes would bite the people. They would die. People began to cry out to God. God, what are you doing? God, save us. And so God tells Moses, he says, I want you to make an image of a bronze snake and I want you to put it on a pole and hold that pole up. And anybody who looks at that pole, who looks at the serpent on the pole after they've been bit, they would be healed. See, God's response to their sin, it wasn't to downplay their sin. It was to provide a means that they could be healed. In fact, that's what God does when we have an inability to keep the law. In John chapter 3, It says, just as Moses lifted the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, God's love, God's salvation, God's favor on us, man, it's not because we we, we earned his favor. It's not because we kept all the rules. It's not because we're a good person. It's not because we, 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 we try harder. It's because we look to Jesus. We look to Jesus. We depend on him. And when we look to him, that is where the salvation is found. Listen, I know that some of us in here today, again, we start thinking about our dad, and we picture that dad being angry. We picture that dad where we felt like we had to try so hard to get his attention and to get his approval. And some of us, man, we gave up trying to do that. It's no use. I'm never going to be good enough. Listen, I want you to know that God is a good father. He's not looking for your performance. He's not looking for your obedience or your perfection. Because the truth is, none of us would be good enough. God simply wants your heart. He wants your heart to be dedicated to him. He wants your heart to to look towards a relationship to him. He wants us to look to him and not to ourself. 
That's where we have to lean in him and pursue him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Listen, that's what God wants you to have, that, that rest where you can rest in his love and his acceptance of you. And it's not found in our performance. It's not found in us being good enough. It's found simply of looking to him, of trusting in him, of, of giving our heart to him. See, the commandments, they can't save us. They point us to Jesus, who he kept the law perfectly in our place. Now, when we talk about that, though, sometimes what happens is we're like, great, since Jesus kept all the commandments, I don't have to keep them at all. They don't matter to me. I can just do whatever I want because Jesus did it in my place. So I have this freedom to do whatever the heck I want to do. Listen, that's not the case. That's not the case. Because God is a good father. And a good father, what do they do? They try and look out and protect their children. See, the commandments are not meant to be overbearing on us. They're not meant to ruin our fun. Now, the commandments, third thing this teaches us is the commandments teach us to live a, how to live a life that honors God. See, when I studied the, this passage this week, I saw something I, I just hadn't noticed before. Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. This is what this says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You know what I saw in that? The people already saved. God already saved them. God already brought them out of Egypt. Saved them out of slavery. He's already saved them. He's already done this miracle in their life. And it's in light of that salvation that he gives them these commandments. And say, here's how to live a life that honors me. Not out of guilt. Not out of trying to please God, not out of trying to save ourselves, but in response to his grace and his salvation. See, the commandments, they're not meant to be a burden. They're not meant to be a heavy weight that we try and bear on our own to earn God's favor. They're simply a way that we respond to the love and grace of God, to show God the love that we have for him. See, as a parent, as a parent, you put rules in your... You love your kids, and so you make rules meant to protect them, to, to, to take them to, to better than they could imagine, to help them flourish. In fact, I was reminded of uh, our kids when we were young. They lived on, we had a house on 24th Avenue between Lincoln and some of you. It's kind of a busy road. And we'd be outside out playing in the front yard, and the kids would play, and, and a ball would go unvariably across the street. And when one of the kids just started running towards the street, I'd yell, stop, don't, don't go, we don't go in the road. We don't go out there. Not because I'm a mean dad, not because I'm controlling, not because I want to ruin their fun, but because I, I love them. I want them to experience the best of life. I don't want them to deal with the consequences of running in front of a car. Do you realize the commandments are there to help us to flourish? Jesus said in John 10, he said, I came to give you life. I came to give you abundant life. You see, these commandments, they can't save us. But perhaps the commandments are there to set boundaries for us so we could experience abundant life, so we could experience a life of joy, of peace, 
the world makes us think, well, you know, you know, freedom, freedom is found in doing whatever feels right to you. Freedom is found in, in no rules altogether. Just do whatever you want to do. No limits and no boundaries. Let's just be honest, though. When we look at those Ten Commandments, how many of us have made a mess in our lives because we lied? How many of us have made a mess because we cheated? Because we stole? How many of us have destroyed relationships around us because we've done these things? Now, see, I don't think the commandments are there to restrict us and to rob us of our fun. I think God gave them to us to show us how to live a life that honors God. And that as we live that life that honors Him, man, I think that's where we find flourishing. That's where we find freedom and peace. In fact, here's, here's a summary of this message. Ten Commandments reveal our need for Jesus. And they show us how to live lives that honor God. So what do we do? We've already talked about two simple things. Number one, we've got to look to Jesus. We've got to look to him. Not ourselves, not our works, not how good of a person we are. We've got to look to him to experience eternal life. We can't keep those commandments. He's done it in our place. And when we look to him, he gives us his righteousness. Second thing we've got to do is respond to his grace and live lives that honor him. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So let me ask you today, when you look at your life, are you living a life that shows your love for God? Shows your gratitude for God? Trusting that he is your good father? He's put these things in our place, in our life, not to control us, but to, to lead us to peace, to lead us to abundant life, to lead us to flourishing. Listen, I recognize today could be a significant day for some of us listening. You have an opportunity today to experience the love of God, to look to Him, to receive grace and love and acceptance. That what we long for from God, what we long for from our Father, Man, we don't have to keep trying harder to, to earn it. Today, just by looking to him, you have the chance to receive that acceptance, that love, that God saying, you've done enough. I'm proud of you. I see what Jesus did for you. I forgive you of all that bad stuff. And because of that, I accept you as you are. You have a chance to trust your life to him to experience abundant life and freedom and peace and joy by looking to him and responding to his grace. And that's good news for us today. See how the story weaves together? Again, we're looking at the Ten Commandments. They're not about us. They're not about us being good people. They're about Jesus doing it in our place. And in response to that, we have an opportunity to respond and submit ourselves to God and live lives that honor Him. Let's pray.